You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now let me ask you this. How many of you have, have heard of these so-called storm chasers? You know, these guys who, who hear about a storm system or they hear, you know, the possibility of a tornado. And so they, you know, so they get in their trucks and they, and they, and they drive and they, and they chase after this storm and after that storm. So maybe they run up to, to Sterling, Colorado, or they go over to, to Yuma, or they go down to Elbert County, but they're constantly chasing one storm after another storm, right? Well, when, when it comes to spiritual gifts, there, there are some who, who are sort of like spiritual storm chasers. You know, in that, you know we, we sometimes hear of these Christians who are constantly chasing after signs and wonders. You know, so they hear of a, of a miracle here or, or a sign and a wonder there, and so they run from this church to that church. They, they hop from one conference to another conference, constantly chasing after signs and wonders. Well, here in chapter 12 this morning, the Apostle Paul is reminding us that, that when it comes to, to the excitement of the gifts of the Spirit, you know, gifts like, like, like healings and, and miracles and prophecy and tongues and, and all these other gifts, Paul is reminding us that it's imperative that we also use the spiritual gift of discernment, that we have discernment. So this morning, there's, there's three things that we're going to discover about discernment. Number one, we're going to discover that that discernment is a mark of maturity. It's a mark of maturity. Number two, we're going to also see that, 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 that discernment can be a spiritual gift. It can be a spiritual gift. And then number three, we'll also discover that, 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 that discernment is a mark of being open-minded. Open-minded. So it's a, it's a mark of maturity. It, it, it can be a spiritual gift, and it can also be a mark of being open-minded. So number one, now, as we go back to verse 10, let's talk about the fact that discernment is a sign of spiritual maturity. And so it says in verse 10, once again, after Paul talks about the gift of faith and the gift of healing, he then says in verse 10, and to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, and to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Now, notice that last line there, that phrase, distinguish between spirits. Now, if you're reading from the New King James Version this morning, then yours would say discerning spirits. Now, this word distinguish or discerning, it comes from the Greek term in the original uh, translation. It comes from the Greek term diakresis, which, which really means to separate something for the purpose of testing it. And so you're taking something and you're, and you're pulling it away. You're, 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 you're withdrawing it. You're, you're separating it so that you can test it. And so, and so it's the same word, by the way, that's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, where the Apostle Paul says, test all things and hold fast to what is good. It's that same term, uh, uh, diacresis, to separate something for the purpose of testing it. Test all things. Now, why are we supposed to test all things? Well, because when you think about it, it often seems that whenever God is doing a work, when God's doing something, it often seems that that's when the devil comes along and counterfeits that work, right? For every work of God, it seems that there's a counterfeit to come along with it. And evidently, that's what was happening with the Corinthian church. Now, keep in mind, I mean, the, the, in, in the Corinthian church, the gospel was being preached. People were, were getting saved by the droves. And this was a, a church that was growing and, and, and flourishing. In fact, you may remember, back in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said that, that this church was not lacking in any spiritual gift. And so this was a church that, that was operating in the things of the Spirit. They, they, were, they, were, they were operating in the gifts of the Spirit. They, they weren't lacking any spiritual gift. But keep in mind, 
The enemy, the strategy of the enemy, is to try to deceive, if possible, even the church and lead them astray using counterfeit signs. In fact, we have this warning given to us in 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. This warning that says, Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And so the enemy's strategy is, is, is to, if possible, draw some of us to abandon the faith. He would much rather that we chase after signs and wonders than chase after Christ himself. Follow after signs and wonders, then follow the Lord himself. And so the question is this. The question is, is how can we tell if it's real or a counterfeit? You know, how can we tell if it's a, if it's a real move of God, a real move of the Holy Spirit, or if, it's, or, or if it's a move of the enemy, if it's a move of the devil? Answer, discernment. But the question now is, is how do we get discernment? How do we get discernment? Well, think of it this way. In, 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 a, in a common sense way, discernment, as I said earlier, is a mark of growth. It's a mark of maturity. In, in other words, the more you grow in your relationship with Jesus, the more you grow in your knowledge of, of his word, the more mature you become in your faith. The, 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 the more mature you become in, in, in the knowledge of God's word. It's a mark of maturity. Uh, he, for example, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, it says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is, a, he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so this is a verse that's telling us, it's talking about going from the milk of God's word to the meat of God's word. As you mature through God's word, you're no longer nursing, but now you're digging deep, you're, you're devouring, you're, you're, you're into the deeper things, you're, you're, you're understanding the word of God. As you go from the milk of the word to the meat of the word, as you grow in the word of truth, then your ability to discern good from evil grows. Your ability to discern the truth from the lie grows as you grow in the word of truth. That's interesting. Years ago, in fact, back in the 70s, the, in Canada, the banking system had an interesting way of training new employees how to spot a counterfeit. Now, what they would do is, is they would take the new hire and they would put them in a dark room and, and, and for, for like two weeks, they would do nothing for, for their shift for two weeks, hour after hour, nothing but handle true currency in the dark. They would just handle currency, handle currency, handle currency. And it would get to the point after hours and hours, even after a couple of weeks of doing this, that the moment someone tried to sneak a counterfeit in, they could, they, they could spot it. They could instantly detect it just by the feel. They were so familiar with how the true felt, they could instantly spot the counterfeit. And they didn't, they didn't need to hold it up to a light. They didn't need, to, need a special marker. They just needed to know what the true, the authentic felt like. And in the same way, listen, when it comes to, to spiritual things, we, we don't learn how to spot a spiritual counterfeit by studying the counterfeit. No, we learn how to spot the counterfeit by studying the truth, the word of truth. And the more we grow in the word of truth, the more, the more we're able to spot the fake, the cheap knockoff, the counterfeit. And listen, when it comes to Christianity, there's a lot of counterfeits out there. You know, uh, for example, there's the, there's the so-called word of faith movement, uh, sometimes called the name it and claim it, sometimes called the blab it and grab it. You know, just, you know, if you have enough faith, you can speak it into existence. Listen, it's a counterfeit. Or, you know, you might have the, the oneness Pentecostals. 
and they and they and they and they and they preach the Bible and they talk about Jesus, but the problem is they do not believe in the Trinity, at least as the Bible would describe it. They don't believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a counterfeit. Or maybe there's the group out there that, that holds a theology called open theism, which in a sense is a, is a theology that says that, that God is not all-knowing, that God doesn't know the future, uh, that, that God changes his mind and God can make mistakes. If you believe in a God who can make mistakes, you're making a mistake. And so there's counterfeits out there. And so, you know, at the same time, we talk about these groups, you might think, oh, yeah, but, you know, what's so wrong with them? I mean, they, 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 they say they love Jesus, and, and, and they read the Bible, and, and they're really good people. they got great families, and they're loving, and they're nice. And what's so wrong with these guys? I mean, yeah, they're, they're a little off, but they're, you know, they're, they're okay. I mean, what's the big deal? Well, let me illustrate for you what, 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 what being just a little off, how being just a little off can be a very big deal. For example, and I've shared this before, uh, October 31st, 1983, uh, Korean airline flight, uh, flight 007, had departed from Anchorage, Alaska, heading for Seoul, Korea. Now, on takeoff, uh, unknown to the flight crew at the time, the computer system had, a, had, a, had an unknown routing error, a one-degree routing error. Now, at takeoff, it was virtually undetectable. And in fact, 100 miles into the flight, and still this deviation was unnoticeable. But as this giant 747 made its way across the Pacific, suddenly they found themselves over Soviet Union airspace. Soviet radar picked them up. They scrambled fighter jets and shot Korean Airlines Flight 007 out of the sky, and there were zero survivors. Not one survived. All of this illustrates how being just one degree off can be the difference between life and death. Listen, the thing with the counterfeit is that the counterfeit is trying to look as close to the authentic as it possibly can. They might only be one degree off, but that one degree can be the difference between life and death. And this is why we need discernment. This is why we need to rightly handle the word of truth. The more we handle this, the more we'll spot a counterfeit when it's in our hands. And so number one, it's a, it's a mark of spiritual maturity. But now, as we look at verse 10 again, we're also going to see that discernment can also be a spiritual gift. Verse 10, Paul says again, to another the working of of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And as I mentioned, in, in a sense, all Christians can have general discernment. In other words, all of us have, the, ha, have access to a Bible, and every one of us has the ability to grow in our knowledge of the Bible. And as we grow in this, our discernment grows. That's available to all of us. But then there, there are times where the average Christian doesn't see what's happening. Maybe there's something happening. There's, there's, there, there's something that's just not right, but, but the average Christian just doesn't see it. They, they just don't get it. And that's when we need the gift of, of discernment, the spiritual gift of discernment. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, this, this word distinguish or, 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 or discernment, the Greek word diakresis. But it doesn't just say that. It says distinguishing spirits or discerning spirits, uh, the word pneuma. And so what it is, is it's not just separating something for the purpose of testing it. It's separating spirits to test the spirits. In other words, you're, you're testing the motive. You're testing what's behind the scenes. You're, you're, it's, it's sort of this spiritual ability to, 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 to sort of read between the spiritual lines and see what's really happening. 
You, 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 just, you, you have this ability to see what's behind that teaching. You have this ability to see what's behind that so-called movement. You see what's, what, 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 what the real motive of the heart really is. Or as Ray Steadman used to put it, he said, it, it's the ability to see through a phony before the phoniness is clearly evident to everyone else. You spot it before others do. Again, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse, verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Same Greek phrase, diakrisis pneuma, separating the spirits for the purpose of testing them. Test the spirits. And, and, and so, you know, it's just this, this sense where, where you get this, this, this red flag. Something's just not right. You get this check in your spirit. You, you, just, you just sense something that's wrong, and, and you sense it again before other people do. You know, I think a good example of this, by the way, would be Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, we, we, we meet an evangelist by the name of Philip. Now, Philip goes to a, a town in Samaria, and, and, and he's preaching the gospel, and, and there's this tremendous work of evangelism happening. I mean, hundreds upon hundreds are getting saved and coming to Christ, including this, this guy by the name of Simon the Sorcerer. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, verse 13, it says, then Simon himself also believed, and he was baptized, and he continued with Philip, and he was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. There's a few things that that verse points out. Number one, it says he believed. Number two, it points out that, that he continued with Philip. The Greek language is implying that he tried to be his partner, his helper, his, his assistant. He was trying to co be like a co-worker in this ministry. And then number three, it points out that he was amazed by signs and wonders. He was attracted to, he was drawn to signs and wonders. Well, now later on, a couple of apostles show up, you know, John and, and, and Peter, they show up on the scene and they start praying for people. They're laying hands on people. And as they do, the Holy Spirit's coming upon people. Well, now Simon the sorcerer sees the Holy Spirit come upon people. And he's like, you know what? I've got to have that power. I mean, it'd be so awesome if I could do that. In fact, he tries to buy it from Peter. He's like, Peter, what, what, what's your Venmo? I mean, you know, I just, if I can give you money for this, and you, know, you could hook me up. I mean, if I had that kind of power, I mean, I could turn some serious coin with this. And at that point, Peter, of course, is sensing something's not right with this guy. He might not even be saved. And so he turns and he says, you know what? May your money perish with you. And if I was the one saying it, I would have added punk. I mean, your money may perish with you, punk. But, you know, P Peter didn't say that part. He just, may your money perish with you. And then he added this in, in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 23, and he says, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. The bondage of sin. Now, you see, what that is, that's discernment. He's able to look in the heart of Simon and see that something's not right. He's calling himself a believer on the outside, but in his heart, he's still in bondage to sin. In bondage to iniquity. He saw something that no one else was seeing, not even Philip. Now listen, Philip had, had a tremendous set of spiritual gifts. I mean, he had the gift of evangelism. He had, as you read about his life, he had the gift of miracles. He had the, he had the gift of, of signs and wonders. But evidently, the one gift that he did not have was the gift of discernment. We know that because he accidentally makes Simon his partner in ministry. And the guy might not even be saved. And, and so you know, Peter's like, you know, you are in the gall of deceit, the gall of bitterness, and the bondage of iniquity. May your money perish with you. Now, you know, we, we, we hear that, and we think, well, that's a little harsh. I mean, didn't the Bible say earlier that, that Simon believed, and he was even baptized? I mean, you know, who are we to judge him? Who, who, who are we to, to criticize him? We don't know his heart. Well, now, I want to draw your attention. It, it, it says that he believed, but it never says he was actually saved. 
They may say, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is this. It is quite possible to believe in your head about Jesus, but not actually believe in him in your heart. You know the facts about Jesus, the, the details about Jesus, and you believe those facts in your head, but you don't actually have them in your heart, in your life. That's why it's been said that you can miss heaven by 18 inches, the distance from your head to your heart. You believe in the facts, but you don't believe in Jesus. Listen, this is why James chapter 2, verse 19 says, even the demons believe and tremble. Listen, do you realize that the demons of hell believe that Jesus is God in the flesh? That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That Jesus was buried and three days later he rose from the grave and that Jesus is coming back. But check it out. They believe all those things, but they're not saved. You can believe in your head and not have a changed heart. That's why the late J. Vernon McGee used to say, and you've heard me quote it before, J. J. Vernon McGee used to say, there's, there's, there's believers and there's make-believers. Evidently, Simon the sorcerer was a make-believer. Now, history, by the way, bears that out. History tells us that, that later on, Simon the sorcerer went insane. He buried himself alive, but, but, but not before starting a heresy known as Gnosticism. Now, in the Bible, you hear a lot about Gnosticism. It's sort of, this, sort of this new age spirituality where they believed in this and that and this other thing and added a little bit of Jesus to it as well. And evidently, it was all started by this guy named Simon the sorcerer. He claimed that he believed in Jesus. The problem is he believed in everything else along with that. It's like, what didn't you believe? And so the, the thing with, with, with having discernment and using the gift of discernment is, is that sometimes, you know, the frustrating thing is you see something and others don't see it. And then when you point it out, they look at you and they're like, you know, why are you so critical? Why are you so judgmental? Well, listen, the truth is that if you're using the spiritual gift of discernment, you're not being critical, you're not being judgmental, you're being spiritual. It's called the spiritual gift of discernment. Now, along with that, not only do we discover that, that, that discernment is a sign of spiritual maturity, and we discover that, that discernment can be a spiritual gift, but now in verse 10 again, we now discover that, that, that discernment can also be a mark of being open-minded. Verse 10, to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Now, as I said a second ago, you know, oftentimes that the criticism that's thrown at you, if, if you have the gift of discernment, is, is you know, if, you know if, you're, if you're using this gift to, to test some, some prophecy that somebody gave you, some word of knowledge that somebody gave you, or some healing that took place, or, or some, 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 some miracle that took place, and yet you're going to the scriptures to test if it's true, Oftentimes, the, the, the criticism that's thrown at you is something like this. Oh, you're just being judgmental. You're being critical. You're being pharisaical. You're not being open-minded. You're being close-minded close to the things of the Spirit. Well, en contraire, which is not a French dish made of snails. Uh, but, but on the contrary, uh, listen, the, the Bible would indicate that, that, that actually, by, by exercising the gift of discernment, you are, are showing a mark of open-mindedness. How do we know this? Let me show you. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those of Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message, and they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Now think about this for a minute. This is the apostle Paul we're talking about. I mean, Paul, you know, he performed miracle after miracle. He, 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 he wrote a, a third of the New Testament. And yet, it, it, when it says that the Bereans actually tested 
what Paul was teaching? They went back to the scriptures to test even what Paul was teaching? How does Paul respond to that? How does Paul react to it? Well, I'll tell you this. He, he didn't stand up and say, hey, touch not God's anointed. He didn't stand up and say, you know, you're being pharisaical. You're being judgmental. You know, you're being closed-minded. No, on the contrary, he says they were open-minded. It says that the Bereans were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica because they, they eagerly listened to Paul's message and they searched the scriptures day after day to see if what Paul was saying was so. They were open-minded. And by the way, this phrase open-minded in Acts 17, 11, in the Greek language of the Bible, it actually describes that the praising of someone's character. You're praising their character. In fact, let me read that same verse for you out of the New International Version. In the NIV, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says that the Bereans were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica. They were of more noble character. In the word noble, eugenis in, in, the, in the Greek, it, it speaks of, of better breeding. It speaks of, of being a purebred animal. And so in a sense, what Paul's saying is this. He's saying, you know what? If, if there was a such thing as being a purebred Christian, the Bereans were it. They weren't mutts. They, they weren't mixes. They, they weren't like hybrids. No, they weren't like, you know, like, like uh, 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 you know, Berean doodles. They, they were like purebreds. He said, you know, they were, they were better bred. They, they were more noble bred. They had more noble character. Now, what was it that made their character so noble? It was the fact that they even went to the scriptures to examine even what the apostle Paul was saying to make sure that it was so. Listen, that is one of the things I love about this church. I love the fact that, that no matter who's up here uh, giving out God's word, even when it's me, you examine the scriptures. I mean, week after week, I'll stand at the door and say goodbye to people. And there's always someone who will ask me questions. You know, well, what about this? What about they're examining the scriptures? In fact, I, I remember somebody come up and they'd said, you know, you know, Pastor, you know, last week you said this and this and this and this. And then I Googled it and I looked it up and you were right. But you know, it's a good thing. You know, it's, it, it's good to examine the scriptures. I, you know, it reminds me of Charles Spurgeon. Now remember, Charles Spurgeon back in the 1800s had a church that had more than 20,000 people going to it in the 1800s. So they sent out a reporter to, to, to investigate this and to find out more. And, and, and the reporter uh, looked and he, and he said, well, 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 Pastor Spurgeon, what makes a great church? And he's probably expecting Spurgeon to say something like, you know, great preaching makes a great church or, or the pastor or the leadership. But to his shock, uh, Spurgeon answered and said, what makes a great church? He says, great people. Great people make a great church. And that's what the Bible is saying about the Bereans. They were of more noble character. They, they were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they were testing. What made them open-minded? The fact that they tested all things in light of the Scripture. And so listen, when you, when you use discernment, when you're testing all things, it's not making you closed-minded, it's making you open-minded. You are now open to correction. You're now open to the direction of God. You're open to rebuke because you want to be that kind of person that makes sure that everything you're doing is actually biblical. And so you're open to the, to the direction of the, of the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God. Now with that, Let's go back to verse 7, verses 7 through 10, and let's talk about the benefit of discernment. The benefit of discernment. Verse 7, 
To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. By the way, guess what the next spiritual gifts are that we're going to look at? Tongues. But now if we go back to verse 7, uh, verse 7 tells us that, that the purpose of every manifestation of spirit, that the purpose of every spiritual gift is what? It's for the, for the common good. Some translations will say for the profit of all. In other words, it's for the benefit of the body of Christ. And so the Bible's telling us that, 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 that the spiritual gift of discernment, uh, that, that it, like any other spiritual gift, its purpose is to benefit the body of Christ. So we might ask and say, well, well then, then how does a gift like this, the d- discernment, benefit the rest of the body of Christ? Let me reword that question, put it another way. We, we might ask, uh, you know, why do we even need this gift in the first place? Answer, because some of us aren't as discerning as we think we are. Now, a lot of us think we're discerning, but a lot of us think we're discerning. We're not as discerning as we think you are. I mean, let's, let's face it, let's be honest. There are some of us where, where we hear that somebody saw the picture of Jesus in a tortilla chip, and we're booking a flight and getting a rental car to check that bad boy out. I mean, I read, I, I read about a mother and daughter in, in Southern California. They, they claim that they saw the image of Jesus in, in, their, in their plum-colored armchair in their living room. In fact, they, they say that they saw the, 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 the sandaled feet of Jesus leaving footprints in, in the carpet leading up to the chair where he then somehow put his face, where everybody else puts their backside, he put his face there and burned his image into the chair. And now, believe it or not, they are, 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 they've taken photos of it and they're selling those photos on eBay by the hundreds. And the bidding is off the charts. Um, listen, do you really think this happened? I mean, do you really think that Jesus put on his sandals, tiptoed over to their chair, put his face right there where the last person sat? burned his face right into it, and then snuck off? You know, listen, it's, it's one thing when, when, when a mother and daughter team believe this, but it's something else when people are lining up by the hundreds to outbid each other for pictures of it. I looked this up in the Greek. It's pronounced gullible. Gullible. This is why we need discernment, because some of us believe just about anything. And, and, so, and so what are the benefits of discernment? Ultimately, the benefit of discernment is the protection of the body of Christ. It protects the body of Christ. Oftentimes, those who have this gift are, are, are people who serve in ministries that protect the body. We sometimes call those apologetic ministries. One of my favorite ministries is with, with a guy named Bobby Conway. Bobby Conway, easy for me to say. Bobby Conway, who, who calls himself the one-minute evangelist. Or, sorry, one-minute apologist. Sorry, it's, it's second service. Starting to, go, starting to lose some fumes here. The one-minute apologist, Bobby Conway, you can look him up on YouTube, but he has all these short little videos where, where he, he, he's, he's talking about cults and talking about this philosophy and talking about this New Age thing and, and this false religion and these different things. And, and in a one-minute video, you get equipped on how to defend your faith and how to better understand what you believe and, and talk with others about what they believe. So it's just a great little ministry. It protects the body of Christ. There are other you know, so-called watchdog ministries that, that do a great job warning us about false teachings that are s- s- uh, s- creeping into the church. And a lot of us fall for them if we, if we didn't have these watchdog ministries warning us about them. Now, years ago, there was a pastor named Dr. Howard. He, he, was, he was guest speaking at a church for three weeks because the pastor there had surgery. 
And so the first week he gets up and he preaches, and, and he preaches this sermon about sin. Well, now after the sermon, the, the elders of the church, they come up and they say, hey, Dr. Howard, that was a really good message and everything, but you know what? In this church, we, we don't want you to talk about sin. We don't want you to preach about sin because that might convict people, and that might hurt people's feelings, and it might offend them, and they might not come back. So the next Sunday he comes up and he, he brings up a bottle, not of water, but, of, but of, of strychnine poison. And on the front of it, there's this big, bold label with big, bold red writing that says poison. And he says, you know, the, the, the elders of this church would prefer that I change the label and take off this label and put on one that says essence of peppermint. He says, but the truth is I cannot do that because I love you. I have to warn you that this is poison. You see, this is what an apologetics ministry, a discernment ministry would do. It warns you about the poison that can harm you. And so we need to remember this. When, 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 it, comes to, when it comes to the supernatural, when it, when it comes to you know, things like miracles and, 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 and signs and wonders and all these different things, we need to be discerning. Again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Why do we test them? Because not everybody who claims they're representing God is actually representing God. We have to test the spirits. And so when it comes to signs and wonders and all these different things, let me give you three principles. Principle one, it could be from the Holy Spirit. It could be a legitimate move. It could be a genuine move of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, we need to be open to it. It could be a move of the Spirit. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us, do not quench the Spirit. So number one, we need to be open to it. But number two, it could also be a counterfeit. It could be a demonic knockoff. Because we need to remember that one of the devil's strategies is imitation. He sees the real and he counterfeits. He, he, he brings his imitation. You know, we see this with the story of Moses, right? Where Moses, you know, he, he goes to Pharaoh and, and they have this, this, this exchange and, and he wants to prove to Pharaoh that his God is the real God and so he performs miracle after miracle. Now, the problem was that Pharaoh's magicians were counterfeiting and performing the same miracles. So Moses takes his staff, he turns it into a snake and then they take their staffs, they counterfeit it and they turn theirs into snakes. And if Pharaoh was anything like Indiana Jones, he's thinking, snakes? Why does it got to be snakes? And, and they counterfeit this miracle and that miracle and this miracle. But the point being is that for every real work, there can be a counterfeit. And that's why we need discernment. That's why it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it not only says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. It goes on to say in verse 21, test all things and then hold fast to what is good. And so there needs to be a balance, and here's the balance. The balance is that, yes, on the one hand, we need to be open to the Holy Spirit, but on the other hand, we need to make sure that it really is the Holy Spirit. We need to be open to the Spirit, but we better make sure that it really is the Holy Spirit. And so now, does that mean that, that, that every, everything that calls itself a, a work of the Holy Spirit is just a cheap knockoff? It's just a fake? No, that's not what that means. It could, as I said earlier, be a very real work of the Spirit. It could be legitimate. It could be genuine. And we should be open to it. But then again, it could be a demonic counterfeit. The devil could be using it to lead people astray because he'd much rather see you chasing after signs and wonders rather than chasing after Jesus. They're not always the same thing. The Bible says there are lying wonders. 
Not only that, but Jesus gave us this warning in, in Matthew 24, verse 24. He said, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Who do they want to deceive? Not just the non-Christian, even the Christian, even the follower of Christ. What are the purpose for these false signs and these lying wonders? It's to deceive, if possible, those who actually follow Christ. The devil would much rather you chase after the false sign and wonder than the true Savior, Jesus Christ. But then again, it could just be, you know, maybe, maybe it's a real work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's a demonic knockoff. Or then again, it might just be that a well-intentioned pastor well-intentioned leaders at a church had unintentionally kind of fallen into the trap of doing whatever it takes to draw a crowd. You know, maybe, maybe something spiritual really did take place once upon a time. There was this real move and people heard about it and people started coming. But then you start falling into a trap that, that you've got to keep it up. You've got to keep it moving. You've got to keep that thing happening or people won't come anymore. And so maybe you kind of fall into something. You know, in fact, let me, let me share with you a time in my life when I wasn't quite as discerning. This was like last week. Uh, and actually, this was, this was in my early 20s. I'm now in my <clears throat> early 50s. Uh, but you know, in my early 20s, this is like back in the early 1990s when I was still a youth pastor. In fact, I was actually at this stage, I was just a volunteer youth pastor. I wasn't even on staff yet. Uh, and so at the, at the church, uh, we had a guest speaker uh, come and, and do this time of ministry. His name was Lonnie Frisbee. Now, if you don't know, Lonnie Frisbee was involved. He had, he had connections with the early days of Calvary Chapel and also the early days of, of, of Vineyard. Now, Lonnie was, was known for some crazy stuff. He was known for miracles and, and signs and wonders and, and for prophecy and for, and for some different things. And so he's, he's up there, he's speaking, and then as he speaks, he, he starts having the young people in the room come forward. He wants the young people to come up onto the stage, and he's calling them out one by one. He's calling them the Joshua and Caleb generation. And then sure enough, he points me out of the crowd and, and has me come up. And I gotta, I gotta admit, me, just, just like everyone else in the room, I was getting caught up in the emotion of the moment kind of getting swept up, swept up in what's going on. And, and then all of a sudden, as he's praying over us and he's, and he's prophesying over us, all of a sudden he, he shares and he says, you know what? Uh, whenever the Holy Spirit shows up, whenever the presence of the Spirit is in a room, you can always tell because it'll be the smell of lavender. The smell of lavender always accompanies the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're thinking, where's that in the Bible? What's in the book of first regurgitations? <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Yeah, but he says, you know, whenever the Holy Spirit's in the room, you, you'll know because lavender, it, it, just, it just permeates the room. And all of a sudden, the whole room starts smelling like lavender. I don't know if it was the power of suggestion or if it was real or what, but the whole room smelled like lavender. In fact, listen, I, sm I personally smelled like lavender for the next week. I mean, literally everywhere I went, people were like, you smell like lavender. I worked at that time at an, at a, at an auto parts warehouse with a bunch of really crude guys. And they're like, you wearing a chick's perfume? What is up with you? You smell like lavender. And so everybody was just talking about this amazing move of the Holy Spirit, and we were just so excited. But then a week or so later, that excitement bubble got burst when, when a friend of mine came up with his digital camera. This is kind of in those days when the digital camera was like becoming a thing. So he comes up with this new digital camera, and, he, and he's showing me pictures that he took of Lonnie Frisbee holding a small vial of oil in his hand. And every time he prayed, he would kind of tilt his hands. Lavender oil. And the excitement bubble got burst. In the same way, modern day uh, culture, there's a group out in Redding, called, Redding, California called Bethel. Now Bethel gets a lot of criticism, some deserved, some not deserved. 
You know, for example, there's a lot of criticism about their music, and I don't know that I agree with all of it, but, but you know, some of the teaching that comes out of there, I do think we need to be wise about. Now, they'll talk about a phenomenon that sometimes takes place where sometimes in their meeting, during worship, and that sort of thing, every now and then, uh, something that, that they might call a glory cloud appears. And, and, and there's this, this, this cloud of sorts that kind of appears in the room, and, and, and there's this gold uh, dust that just kind of falls in the room. And you, you, you can look it up on YouTube. You'll see examples of it. Just this, this, this cloud, this presence, this thing, and there's, there's, there's gold dust that goes everywhere. And sometimes it comes, and sometimes it doesn't come. Now, what's interesting is, and this has been done several different times, different groups, scientists and also uh, gemologists have, have come in and, and they've done different tests where, where people have come into those meetings, they've collected samples of that gold dust, brought it back to their labs, and they've studied it only to find that it was cellophane and mylar. Store-bought glitter. No, I'm not saying that God couldn't use store-bought glitter, I'm just saying. That, that sometimes we need to be wise, sometimes we need to be discerning. We need to test all things because not everything that calls itself a move of the Spirit is necessarily a move of the Spirit. It could be a move of the Spirit. It could be a demonic knockoff. It could be a well-intentioned group that, that, that needs to keep something going. That maybe there was something spiritual happening and they got to keep it going so that the people keep coming. We don't know. But we do need to remember Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So now notice these 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 amazing things that are happening. They come in and they say, listen, we, 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 we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We, we perform signs and wonders in your name. And Jesus says, yeah, but I never knew you. Which just goes to show that sometimes we can do all these amazing, miraculous things in his name without actually knowing the one who has the name. And so ultimately, discernment is, is what helps us not to become spiritual storm chasers who are chasing after this miracle and that sign and this wonder. You know, Jesus said in Mark 16, 17, he said, he said signs will follow those who believe. And he didn't say that those who believe should follow after signs and wonders. He's saying that signs and wonders follow after those who believe. You don't need to go be a, storm, a, 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 a sign and wonder chaser and follow after it. Rather, those signs and those wonders follow after the believer to authenticate the believer. The ministry of that believer, that they were sent, that, that, that God's using them. But sometimes we need discernment. And listen to this. Some of us have the spiritual gift of discernment, but all of us have the word of truth. And the more we handle the word of truth, the more mature we get in the word of truth, the more we recognize that which is not true. The more we handle the word of truth, the more mature we become. Someone put it this way. They said, all word and no spirit, you'll dry up. All spirit and no word and you'll blow up, but the balance of the both and you'll grow up. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.